Thank you, choir, and Rhonda and Benny. That's beautiful. Um, we don't ever want to take that for granted, do we? So I want to welcome you and say hello and welcome to anybody who is listening to us uh, by live stream today. Uh, we want to say how wonderful we all look today. We wish you could just see how great we look if you're listening by live stream today. Um, but we are glad to be here with you. And if you have uh, a Bible to turn with to John chapter 12, go ahead and do that now. If you want to find one in the back of a pew Bible or uh, they're going to be up on the screen. The word will be up on the screen for you. Verses 1 through 8 of John chapter 12 today. Um, hear the gospel of the Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We've had a saying in my house, and I, I'm sure you've probably heard this before, but we say, home is where the heart is, right? Have y'all heard that? Home is where the heart is. One of the reasons that we say that is because we've had to move around and around and around, and we have tried to keep in mind and tried to teach our kids that, that home doesn't necessarily mean one particular house or one particular even zip code, but home is where your heart is. Home. I would even go further and, and, and also say, Home is where you know the people by heart, and they know you by heart, and uh, home is where you have your heart, okay? You have a heart connection, and I hope that Gadsden First United Methodist Church is one of those heart home places for you, and if it hasn't already become that, I hope that it will be uh, a heart home place for you. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. Have you ever wondered if Jesus had one of those special places? If he had a place that he considered home, where he knew people by heart, they knew him by heart, and where his heart was plugged in. Now, I know as far as home goes, he was born in Bethlehem, but he didn't stay there very long. He and Mary and Joseph had to flee to Egypt for their lives and be refugees in Egypt for a while. And then they came back to a little backwater town called Nazareth, and that's where Jesus grew up. That's where he had his growing up years. And then when he entered into his public ministry at about the age of 30, then his home was wherever he was. He, his home was with whomever would open their doors to him and allow him to come in and stay with them. So home meant something different to Jesus while he was in his public ministry. But I want to tell you, I do think there was that special place. I do think there was a place where he knew them by heart, they knew him by heart, 
and they had a heart connection. And I think the place was Bethany, and I think uh, the people were Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And this is why I think they were so connected. It's what happened prior to John chapter 12 and John chapter 11 where we can see that real connection that Jesus had with these special people. Jesus and his disciples were hanging out together and a messenger comes running up and says, Jesus, the one whom you love is ill. The messenger didn't have to say, your friend Lazarus is ill. He didn't even have to say that because Jesus knew the one whom you love is ill. And the messenger didn't have to say, Mary and Martha want you to come right away because that went without saying. And as if we didn't already know that in this story in John chapter 11, John chapter 11 verse 5 just comes right out and says it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. And yet he waited two days before he headed out to Bethany so that by the time he arrived in Bethany, Lazarus had already been dead for four days. The people are in uh, the home and they're mourning with Martha and Mary and someone says to Martha, Jesus is coming up the road and Martha bolts out the door and runs up the road and she meets Jesus and she says exactly what is on her heart because when you are connected with somebody heart to heart, you say whatever's on your heart. And here's what was on her heart. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, your brother is going to rise again. And Martha says, I know he's going to rise again. And the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus said something to him that has been ringing in my ears for all these years. It's still ringing 2,000 years later. It's something that I say at every funeral. I just said it this past week at a funeral. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, yet will he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So Martha gets back up and runs back to the house. They're still in mourning and crying and weeping and wailing. And she tells Mary, Mary, Jesus is just up the road. And so Mary runs out. And she comes up to Jesus and she falls down at his feet in tears. And she says just what's on her heart. Because when you're connected to somebody heart to heart, you could just say whatever's on your heart. And she says this. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then Jesus does something that's kind of amazing. He starts crying. He's weeping. And you have to wonder why. I mean, he's not weeping because Lazarus has died because he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the grave and, and cause all kinds of stir. But he's crying because Mary's crying and because Martha's crying and because he loves them and he's connected to them. He's crying because he's connected to their heart. So then Jesus goes on and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And that's really not what we're talking about today. I just want you to see the context of John chapter 12. I want you to see the connection that he already has when he gathers in their home again. This time about a week before he has the last supper with his disciples. He's gathered there in Bethany at this special place. This is the scene that's being uh, played out before us. 
And here's what I see happening. If you're following along with your, your outline, this is the first one. Love is being spoken in a place that Jesus knew by heart. That's what I see happening. Love is being spoken in a place that Jesus knew by heart. Dr. Gary Chapman wrote a book uh, several years ago called The Five Love Languages. Have any of y'all ever heard that book, The Five, Five Languages of Love? A few of you have. Um, uh, the basic principle is, is that people speak different kinds of, of love languages. In other words, everybody has a primary way that they respond best when it comes to communicating love. And I'm not talking about German and Spanish and Italian. I'm talking about a way that we show other people love, a way they show us love. And Dr. Chapman has, uh, has five different ones that he has recognized. Uh, one is words of affirmation. One is receiving gifts. Uh, the third one is acts of service. The fourth is quality time. And the fifth is physical touch. Now, you might say, yes, please, just give me all of those. And you could just love me in all of those ways. And we, we all do respond to that to a certain extent. Uh, but there's always one primary way that's a special thing for us. And it's when someone communicates to us in that way, then it tends to, to fill our hearts and we have a sense of, of well-being and we actually feel love. So I'm going to say something that, um, that I'll bet I might even get an amen after I say this, okay? I'm prompting you. Everybody needs to feel loved. See, that helps me out. Words of affirmation, right? Everybody needs to feel loved. If you're a baby, if you're a child, if you're a teenager, if you're no matter what age you are, you need to feel loved. It, it, it doesn't matter if someone says, well, you know I love you. Well, no, I need to know. I need to feel that way, okay? It's all like, it's like we have a tank that needs to get filled with, with love, and when someone communicates in our primary love language, it fills that up. And then the flip side, if somebody doesn't do that, then we kind of feel like we're running on empty, right? And sometimes we get crossed up and we don't know uh, the right way to go. And for instance, if you have a, a husband and a wife and maybe the wife's primary love language is words of affirmation. She needs to hear affirming words. And maybe he thinks uh, that his way of showing love is acts of service. And so he goes out and he washes her car and he waxes it and he changes the oil and he does the dishes for her and he, he um, does all of these other things for her and and she just finally breaks down and says I just don't even know if you love me anymore and he says well I, I washed your car and and I changed the oil and I went to the grocery store for you and she's like I need to hear the words I need to hear the words I need to hear you say it okay you see we have some ways we miss each other so it's important to know what your spouse's primary love language, what fills your spouse's tank. It's important to, to know what your children's love language is so that they feel loved, even what your coworkers' love languages are. Um, so we need that because we all need love. So do you know, how do you know what your primary love language is? There's a quiz that I've given you a link on your little outline that you can go and take an online test and you can find out uh, there are singles tests and teenagers tests, children's tests. You can figure out what your love language is and what the people that you love's love languages uh, would be. And then, um, and then make sure that you 
love in that way. One way, even without taking the test, that you can know what your primary love language is, is what do you instinctively want to do to show love to other people, right? For instance, if your primary love language is physical touch, then you're probably going to be one of those people that wants to go up and give somebody a hug. Or you want to walk uh, holding hands with your spouse or arm in arm with somebody. That physical touch is what makes you feel loved, so you think that makes them feel loved, too. Uh, or if, if yours is, is giving gifts, then you're probably going to be the one that writes the little notes and gives the little gifts and does the little special things because that's kind of the way you want to feel loved. Um, so I just want to encourage you, get this information for yourself. Get this information for the ones that you love and put it to use. Or as I said earlier, beloved, let us love one another. Okay? Wouldn't it be great if this was the place where love was spoken and where we all went out of here feeling like our tanks were a little bit fuller, right? That would be great and awesome. So I want to look at the characters in the story that we read in John chapter 12 today, and I want us just for fun to guess what their primary love language is, okay? We're going to look at these characters and see what love language is being spoken in Bethany on that day. Let's look at Lazarus, first of all. Don't know that much about Lazarus, except that he was really good friends with Jesus and that Jesus raised him from the dead. That's pretty important credentials right there. But I think after all that they'd been through, Lazarus's love language was quality time. I think he just wanted to spend some time with Jesus because it says that he is sitting with Jesus at the table and just hanging out with Jesus. I think quality time is his primary love language because that's what he wants uh, from Jesus. And if you have somebody in your life that quality time is their love language, then you know how they spell love. They don't spell it L-O-V-E. They spell it T-I-M-E, okay? They want you to unplug, to turn the Braves game off, and to, uh, they lost anyway, uh, but to spend time, quality time with them. Um, Martha, on the other hand, I'm pretty sure Martha's primary love language is acts of service. And the reason I think that is because Martha was always busy serving. She was always busy. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, we read about another time that Jesus was over at their house in Bethany, and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him along with the other disciples and all, and Martha, you know what Martha was doing? Y'all remember this story. Martha was running around. She was doing this. She was doing that. And then she came in after she kind of thought, I'm just having to do everything. She came in, and I picture her with a wooden spoon in one hand and a hand on the other hip and saying, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do everything? Some of you who have siblings might, might relate to that feeling. So if Lazarus has a grateful heart because the Lord has raised him from the dead, Martha has a servant heart because she likes to show love by doing things, okay? And I'm guessing that if this is her love language, that if one night her sister had said, hey, Martha, why don't you just sit down and put your feet up and let me cook dinner tonight? Then I have a feeling that Martha's love tank would have just gotten a little bit fuller 
because that's the way she feels loved. That's the way she likes to show love. Now, Mary, I'm pretty sure, her love language would be receiving gifts. Now, what makes me say that? It's because of the extravagant gift that she gives to, to Jesus. She just lavishes this upon Jesus just out of an overflowing heart. If Lazarus had a thankful heart and Mary, Martha had a servant's heart, then I think Mary just had a heart that overflowed with love. She took a pound of a perfume made of nard, and it's, it's a rare uh, perfume that is only made of a plant that's only found in the Himalayas. It was very, very expensive. If we believe Judas Iscariot, and he probably knew what he was talking about because of his focus on the money, it was worth about 300 denarii, which would have been almost a year's salary. It was the most expensive thing she had. It was, it was the most valuable thing that she had. And she didn't just put a little dab on Jesus' feet. She just washed his feet. She spent the whole thing. The word extravagant is the word I use here because it, it, it means just above and beyond. It means lacking restraint. It means exceeding what's reasonable. Just exceeding what's reasonable. And you know, there are times when it's good to show restraint and when it's not good to, to do something unreasonable. But there are other times when it's okay to be extravagant. And I think it's okay to be extravagant when it comes to generosity. Because if we think about, we think about the extravagant generosity of God and, 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 and it just overwhelms us. This is a beautiful time of the year to think about the extravagance of God. Have you seen the azalea bushes lately? Oh my goodness, they don't have to be that pretty. I mean, they could, God could have taken it down a few notches, but they're just extravagant. Have you, have you been going by the river when the sun is setting in the evening and seen how just, just outrageously beautiful, outrageously beautiful it is? So God is extravagant. And when we give in extravagance in, in generous ways, then we're reflecting the heart of God. Let's put it this way. If we, didn't, if we didn't get a little bit extravagant when we're talking about being generous, then we wouldn't be sitting in this beautiful place right now worshiping, would we? If we didn't get a little bit extravagant, there wouldn't be any such thing as stained glass windows, and there wouldn't be any, any such thing as beautiful music and, and singing and we have to be a little bit extravagant when we're giving. We're talking about being generous and giving to God. So it was extravagant what she did. Um, it's also good to be extravagant when it comes to being thankful. Um, Mary just poured her heart out in thanksgiving, and it filled the whole house as a fragrance. It was a beautiful and memorable thing. When you're being thankful in that way, it's like saying, I am so thankful for you that... I'm just going to have to go a little bit overboard. I'm just going to have to go a little overboard. Um, some of you might remember uh, an old short story by O. Henry called The Gift of the Magi. Any of you remember that? Uh, you probably read it when you in, in, include in class in some way, The Gift of the Magi. It's about a young couple named Jim and Della, and they live at the turn of the century, and they're, they're young, and they're in love, and they don't have much money. They don't have hardly anything. All Jim has is his prized family pop pocket watch, and he has to have it tied on an old string because he can't afford a, a nice watch fob for it. 
And so for Christmas, Della gets a bright idea, and she wants to buy him a beautiful platinum watch fob for his pocket watch. The only problem is it costs over $20, and she's got $1.87 to her name. But she goes to the wig maker, and she's got this long, luscious, beautiful hair, and she sells her long, beautiful hair for 20 bucks. And she takes that 20 bucks and adds her dollar to it, and she goes and buys this platinum watch fob for her husband. And Jim has been busy too, right? He has scraped up all of his money, and he's found these beautiful ornamental hair combs. And he can just see how wonderful they're going to look in Della's long, luscious, beautiful hair. And then when they get together, they give each other the gifts. And you know that it didn't work out like they wanted it to. You know they can't even use the gifts that they give to each other. But you know what's priceless? What's priceless is their love for each other and the connection. And they get the blessing even though the circumstances don't work out like they ought to. We, uh, we had a gift of the Magi moment last Sunday. Our family did. Uh, we were all off together, uh, everybody home for spring break and everything, and I had taken the Sunday off, and I knew that Andy was going to do a, his usual awesome job here. Um, and so we decided we are all going to go to church together, something, something we don't hardly get to do. And we decided we're going to go to Heflin and go to the church that we served several years, Heflin First United Methodist Church. We're going to see our friends there, let them see how the kids are all grown up now. And we especially wanted to see our dear friend uh, who's like family to us. Her name is Jenny Davis. And Jenny, Jenny can't get out and drive much anymore because of her eyesight. But we thought we're just going to surprise her. And uh, the day before we were going, as if she had a premonition, uh, my dear wife said, well, do you think we ought to call Jenny and tell her we're coming? And me, because I'm so wise, said, uh, no, we're not going to call. We're just going to surprise her. So we did show up at Heflin first last Sunday, and we did surprise them, and several people came running up to us, and we loved seeing them. And they said, oh, look how tall Michael has got on it. You know, look at the girls. They're so, oh, look. You know, and for me, they said kind of like what, what Parker said about his pig. Oh, he's, he's big and got a lot of meat on his bones. <laughs> and so it was so wonderful to see them in that church, and we were looking around. Looking, 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 because we were going to sit with Jenny. We were going to actually be in church and sit with her. And I said, where's Jenny? And the lady standing by us, and she was just smiling and shaking her head. She said, she went to Gadsden to see you today. <laughs> what are the odds? Eldred helped take care of her, though, didn't he? And, and hopefully some of y'all got to, to meet her. And, you know, two lessons from this I'm going to take away from this. One is I should listen to my wife more often. And two is when you do something out of the heart of love, even when it doesn't work out like you thought it was going to, you still get the blessing because your heart was in the right place. Your heart was in the right place. So we've been going on a journey to Easter for these next few weeks, and we're almost there. We started in the desert, didn't we? We talked about setting our face toward Jerusalem and 
We've admitted that even sometimes we need to make a U-turn. But today we're talking about how the journey is a matter of the heart and how important it is to have your heart in the right place and to speak the love language of those who are connected to your heart. And in Bethany, just a couple of miles away from Jerusalem, in the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, love was being spoken loud and clear that day, except for one. There's one character who was prominent in the story who doesn't speak the language of love at all. His name is Judas Iscariot. And when Mary anoints Jesus' feet with the perfume, he gets really mad and he says, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Well, on the face of it, that's a pretty good question. I mean, 300 denarii, well, that'd go a long way. But then I remember this is a matter of the heart. And Judas's heart is not in the right place, is it? Because he doesn't care about the poor. He is the keeper of the money bag, and he pilfers money out of there. See, Judas has a greedy and selfish heart, and he really doesn't speak a love language at all. He only loves himself. And Jesus responds to him in this way. He says, you have the poor with you always. In other words, anytime you want to, anytime you want to, you can help the poor. As a matter of fact, helping the poor is the heart of the good news. But there are other times, Judas, there are other times when you've got a limited window, a limited chance that you're not going to get back again, and you have to seize the moment and do something right then. And that's what Mary understood. That's what Mary understood. The journey to Easter is a matter of the heart. And I want you to remember these lessons by remembering just a simple uh, acronym for heart. Uh, here's what I want us to remember about the story. The H stands for hostess with the mostest. My dad always said that about somebody who really knew how to throw a good party. Uh, he would say, you're the hostess with the mostest. Martha was that person. Martha was a person with a servant's heart, and her gift was serving other people. And if that's your gift, and if you know a Martha, then just appreciate them. And if you're that person, serve with all your heart. The E stands for extravagant love. Mary is remembered for her overflowing heart. Here we are 2,000 years later. We're still talking about Mary. We still can, we can almost smell that perfume in the house, can't we? So if your gift is generosity, then just give extravagantly. Give unselfconsciously out of an overflowing heart. A is for always thankful for life. Lazarus will always be remembered as the one that Jesus brought back to life. And he'll always be grateful. And you know what? We can always be grateful too because he brings us to life. Let's don't forget to remember that. Always be thankful for life. R in heart stands for real motives shine through because no matter what we say with our mouths then the Lord knows what's really on our heart and Judas's greedy and selfish heart came through now it's easy to judge Judas Iscariot it's harder for me to make sure that my heart's in the right place and that I'm doing the right thing for the right reason 
And then the T for heart is time. Time is of the essence. Jesus reminds us to seize the moment because when it comes to sharing love, you don't want to waste an opportunity because, you know, we all know, don't we, that sometimes we see the kids and we think, well, they're, they're always going to be little, but they're not. They're going to grow up. And sometimes we look at our parents and our grandparents and we think they're always going to be around. I can always show love to them. Well, no, you can't. You've only got a window of opportunity. Sometimes you see your best friend and you think we're always going to be best friends. We're all going to, always going to live right next door to each other. But then one of you gets transferred to another city. So time is of the essence, Jesus tries to tell us. My heart's desire for us and for this place is for this to be a place that is filled with the fragrance of extravagant love that when everybody walks into this place and walks out again that they feel like their tank is just a little bit more full. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us the way you have. Thank you for your extravagant love that didn't stop short of giving everything you had. Completely pouring yourself out for us. Help us, Lord, as we follow you to give ourselves for others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And now for our closing hymn, we are going to sing together, It's Jesus is All the World to Me, number 469.